Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast. Now, this week, we are taking a trip back into our sermon archives, and I'm sharing with you a sermon that I first preached several years ago, but it's so appropriate for this week. This week is the first Sunday after Easter, and this is the week when we traditionally think about the story of Thomas. Now, Thomas has earned a horrible nickname of being Doubting Thomas. But here's the truth. If any of us were in his shoes, we would have had the same doubts that Thomas did. So in in this week's sermon, that's what we're thinking about. The fact that Thomas isn't the only one who doubted. So with that, let's get right into this week's sermon. The lock on the doorknob was turned. The sliding chain lock had been latched across the door. The deadbolt was fastened into place. The truth is, they would have nailed a 2x4 across the threshold if they could have found a hammer. But one way or the other, they were now safe and secure, locked away behind the door of a second-floor banquet hall. As they cowered in the corners of that room, darkened by their makeshift shades drawn over the windows, it's hard to miss the irony of their situation. Only days before, they had gathered together in this very room for a celebration. The wine had been flowing, and they had all gorged themselves on a veritable smorgasbord of sumptuous food. But in an instant... That celebration was forgotten, as the man who always seemed to be the life of the party stood up and told them all that he was going to be killed. Now, not even 72 hours later, it turned out that their friend was right. He had been killed. All of them were standing beside him as he was arrested in the middle of a garden. All of them had either seen for themselves or heard from the others about their friend's so-called trial before the lower courts. All of them had heard with their own ears and the security of their hiding place the loud cries of a crowd gathered outside the courthouse as they demanded an execution. All of them knew that this execution had been carried out. Now all they could do was return to their upper room and hide out from the men who had killed their leader. That's where they'd been holed up for days behind locked doors, cloaked by the shadows of their room. They were too scared for their lives to even contemplate leaving their hideout. At least they had been, until a woman they all knew well had come banging on their door earlier that same morning. When the banging began, they all had felt petrified. They figured that the same people who'd killed their friend had now tracked down the rest of the group. But soon they realized the voice at the door was familiar and not at all threatening, even if they couldn't understand exactly what she was saying. Once they unlocked the door and let her in, she was so exacerbated, they still had trouble making sense out of what she was trying to tell them. But then, after she had caught her breath, they began to understand her words, and they were shocked. She told them that she had been to the place where they had buried their friend, but when she arrived at the site, his body wasn't there. They had all assumed that grave robbers had come and stolen the corpse, but that wasn't the end of the news. Only a few hours later, word had returned to the group that was far too good to be true. The woman who only hours before was banging down their door was now telling everyone that she had seen their friend. But he was not dead. He was alive, risen from the tomb. So now that hiding place, still cloaked by the artificial darkness of their makeshift shades, was filled with the hushed whispers of this group of ten men trying to figure out if this woman's story was true. How could it be, one asked. The dead don't rise up from their graves. But another interjected, well, he did talk about the temple being destroyed and rebuilt in three days. Maybe that temple was actually him. She must have just seen a look-alike, another added in, or maybe he didn't actually die on the cross. Maybe he just passed out. Whether they would admit it or not, 
every one of them had their doubts that this story of a resurrection could actually be true. But then it happened. This is how John, one of the people that was there in the upper room when this event took place, tells the story. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, he writes, It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and he stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, then they aren't forgiven. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be in that upper room? Yes, at first, we all would have been scared out of our minds when a person mysteriously appeared behind locked doors. But what would it have been like when you realized that person was your friend, someone you thought was dead, who was now alive? In that moment, everything changed. Hours earlier, the disciples were doubting everything that they had heard Jesus say. How could mourners be blessed? They certainly weren't feeling blessed as they grieved the loss of their friends. Or who would dare call the humble happy when Jesus, who was the most humble person they had ever met, and all he got was a place on the cross? Maybe if you live by the sword, you wouldn't die by it. After all, the soldiers who had killed Jesus were all still alive. They had only held swords in their hands. However, as they looked at this nail scarred, as they looked at Jesus' nail scarred hands and they heard his calming voice, they started realizing that everything he had taught them was true. They realized that their world had changed. They realized that nothing would ever be the same again because death had been defeated, violence had been overcome with peace, rejection had given way to acceptance, and love had conquered hate. Well, almost all of them realized that their world had been changed. It would never again be the same. You see, one member of their group was missing. Now, maybe he had gone out to buy some food, or maybe he wanted to see the empty tomb for himself, or maybe he just needed to take a long walk and reflect on everything that had happened over the last couple of days. But regardless of the reason, Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the wounds left by the nails and put my hand into his side, then I won't believe. Now over the years, poor old Thomas has gotten a pretty bad rap. But let's be completely honest here. If we were in Thomas's place, would any of us have acted any differently? Of course not. If our friends came to us telling us a story about someone coming back from the dead, we'd doubt their story. If they persisted, we'd question their sanity. If they wouldn't let it go, then we would demand proof. And that's exactly what Thomas does in this story. He says that unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the wounds left by the nails and even put my hand into his side, then I won't believe. Let's face it. A lot of us still feel the exact same way that Thomas did. From time to time, we still struggle to believe that the resurrection could actually be true. And deep down, we probably all wish we could see the nail marks in his hands and put our fingers in his wounds. But the scars on Jesus' hands or the wound left in his side are not the scars and wounds that we see in the world around us today. 
Instead, we see the scars of a world that's been ravaged by poverty. Who among us can forget the images of starving children in Africa or Asia or South America that are routinely played on our TV sets to advertise for groups like Feed the Children? We see the wounds of war, uh, of war-torn nations that show up on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. We see the scars of disaster as we open up our newspapers and we read about devastating storms that sweep across the region or an accident involving a crane in Seattle or the horrors of another shooting in Southern California. We see the wounds of hatred that are still surfacing in the aftermath of such tragedies all across America and across the globe. That's right. Even today, or especially today, it's still easy to doubt the resurrection. Not only have we never seen someone raised from the dead for ourselves, we're still waiting to see the results of this so-called resurrection. We're told that in the resurrection, death is conquered, but people still die. We're told that in the resurrection, sin will be defeated, but we don't have to look beyond ourselves to see that sin is still present every day of our lives. We're told that in the resurrection, violence will be no more, but military conflicts still rage across the globe, while stories of another homicide are covered in local news almost every single day. We're told that in the resurrection, oppression will end, yet we can still look around and see the way that the poor, the way that minorities, the way that so many others are treated. We've been told that the resurrection happened, but as we look at the world around us, we can all be at least a little like Thomas, doubting that this story is true. And the only thing that will stop our doubts is seeing those nail-scarred hands for ourselves. And of course, most of us know how the story of doubting Thomas ends. We're told the rest of the story again by John, who experienced and saw these things firsthand in John chapter 20, verses 26 through 29, when he writes, After eight days, Jesus' disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. And Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Thomas was lucky. Thomas was able to have his doubt satisfied when Jesus stood before him, showing Thomas his nail-scarred hands. But you and me, we're not so lucky. Jesus has never appeared beside us in a room holding out his hands before us so that we can touch his scars. I guess that makes us the happy ones that Jesus mentions, who still believe even though we haven't seen. But the truth is, I'm not so sure that I haven't seen the nail-scarred hands of Christ. No, I'm not talking about some mystical experience or dream revision. What I mean is that I have seen the nail-scarred hands of Christ reaching out as I have sat with families who have lost loved ones. And although they may be overcome with grief, I have seen them celebrate a life that did not end in death, but rather began anew with Jesus. 
I have seen the nail-scarred hands of Jesus reaching out when I've spent time around kids and youth. And although they may have felt the pressure from their friends to pick on or put down or just plain bully another child, I've seen them rise above the insults and act in love. I've seen the nail-scarred hands of Christ reaching out as I have led countless Bible studies and engaged in conversations with so many about who God is. Although others may often disagree with exactly what I teach or what I believe, I have seen Christians always treat each other with love and respect rather than judgment and persecution. I have seen the nail-scarred hands of Jesus reaching out as various congregations have boldly opened their doors to their communities. And although some may have looked upon guests as misfits or outcasts because of their race or economic level or lifestyle, the people of God have welcomed them all as our fellow human, someone created in the image of God and so loved by him. I've seen the nail-scarred hands of Christ reaching out in all these areas and more, and I've learned the meaning of the resurrection from them. I have learned that the sting of death has been conquered, and although people still die, Comfort and hope are found through Jesus, that they may live again. I have learned that sin has been defeated, and although we may all still fall short, Christ's forgiveness will always reign. I have learned that violence will be no more, and although we may still live in a world that is filled with violence and conflict, countless Christians are at work around this world choosing to take up their cross daily instead of the sword. I have learned that oppression will end. I have learned that although... The poor or minorities or so many others may still feel oppression in this world that there are countless Christians working to end their suffering. Yeah, we can't help but see the world we live in and wonder about the resurrection. But if we take the time to look closer, we can constantly see the work of Christ's nail-scarred hands around us. There may still be death, but countless individuals have found eternal life. There may still be sin, but countless individuals have found and are practicing forgiveness. There may still be violence, but countless Christians are working toward peace. There may still be oppression, but the hands and feet of God are working toward justice. Yes, I have seen with my own eyes the work of God transforming this world through the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. But the question for us today It's not whether the resurrection is true. The question that you and I and we all must ask ourselves this morning is, am I living like the resurrection is true? Am I living like the resurrection is true? Am I living a life that is filled with life, that is filled with forgiveness and peace and justice and transformation? Or am I living a life that is still filled with the things of death and sin and violence and oppression? May we each choose today, tomorrow, and every day the way of the resurrection, not just in the wake of Easter Sunday, but every single day of our lives. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be here on this day, this first Sunday in the season of Easter a day where we're reminded of the story of Thomas. God, for too long we have called Thomas Doubting Thomas, treating him like he behaved differently than any one of us would have. Thomas wasn't in that room when Jesus first appeared, 
to his remaining disciples. He didn't get to see for himself the nail-scarred hands. He didn't get to touch the wounds in Jesus' body. So he wondered if it was true. God, 2,000 years later, I haven't seen the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. I haven't been able to touch them with my own two hands. But God, I don't doubt that Jesus was resurrected from the grave because I see the work of the resurrection around me every day. So God, my prayer is that you help all of us in this place to see the work of the resurrection, to see your hands bringing love where there is hatred, to see your hands bringing hope where there is despair, to see your hands bringing joy where there is sorrow, to see your hands bringing peace where there is chaos. And remind us, O God, remind us that we didn't have to be there to know that the resurrection is true. Remind us that the resurrection is true and that we get to live out that good news every single day. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey there, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this week's sermon podcast. We hope that it's helped you think a little bit more about who Thomas is, maybe even the doubts that you have about faith too. But most of all, we hope that it's helped you to realize that even though we cannot see the nail-pierced hands of Jesus, even though we can't put, put our fingers into the scars, that it doesn't change the fact that those hands of Christ are at work in the world today. Now, next week at Melbourne Heights, we're going to be starting into a brand new sermon series that we're calling So Loved by God. We're going to be journeying together through the Gospel of John, and we're going to be thinking about how God loves us, how we're supposed to love each other, and then we're going to talk about how we can actually show the love that we have. So tune back in next Tuesday when our next sermon podcast drops, and as always, if you haven't signed up for the podcast yet, make make sure that you subscribe to it now so that it shows straight up in your favorite podcasting app next Tuesday once it's released. Also, while you're in your favorite podcasting app, take just a second and leave us a review. Your reviews can mean a whole lot to us and they can help get the word out about this podcast to help other people grow in their faith as well. So as always, hope that you have a great week this week and we will see you back here next Tuesday for another sermon podcast.